Welcome to X-Rated Movies. I'm one half of your hosting team, Matthew Fisher. I'm the other half of your hosting team, Ryan Whedon. This, if you don't know, is a movie podcast by two guys who used to date, and now they no longer date. Now we talk about movies. Exactly. And on that topic, Matt, there was something that I found out about last week's episode that I really wish I'd found out in time for the recording that I would like to talk about real fast. What's Just that? Get it out of the way. Yeah. So if you listen to last week's episode, you know that there was like a, a, a sort of a condensed time period between watching it and talking about it. So this is why I didn't bring it up because I didn't have time to research it. But I was doing some research and I think in the 80s, maybe the 90s, the first time that they had like a release of Possession, mm-hmm. there was a case of somebody getting the... Uh, VHS or DVD and actually having to be exercised. Really? Yeah. They called it Possession, Possession, Possession. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, Was the exorcism a success? Yep. Okay. (laughs) I just want to say Possession, Possession, Possession because I think that's funny. (laughs) So when we watch the Brandon Cronenberg movie Possessor. Yes. And someone possesses someone else, they'll be the possessed possessor possessed if you own the movie possessor (laughs) and you possess somebody Uh you would be the possessor 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 what if i own the movie possessor but it like cast a spell on me and i in turn cast a spell on someone else you would be the possessed possessor possessor (laughs) the possessee (laughs) Pose, pose. Whoo! I don't know. I need to. I need to draw this one out. <laughs> we'll, we'll 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 map it out one one day. Yeah, yeah. it's it's like trying to figure out alpaca as a as a palindrome. You just got to write it down. <laughs> That's it. The end. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next week on X rated movies. Uh no. Now it's time for a segment we've loved to visit all the time. <laughs> It's been like nine months <laughs> since we last did this one. I know, but you shamed me last or two what? weeks ago. Oh, and so now I feel I, that uh, we've got. I think to bring you might need to roll back the tape on that <laughs> shaming, but I'll take your word for it. Uh, we're doing the oblique strategies cards, everybody. Longtime listeners will remember we just these are the uh, cards created by Brian Eno and right insert name here. <laughs> And uh, they're they're creative prompts. They're, Peter they're something. Yeah, it probably says in the deck here. Oh, Peter Schmidt. Peter Schmidt. There it is. So when we did these last time, we sort of just picked them and then like acted out what our prompts sort of told us to do in an effort to try and guess the other one, yeah. the other's card. Uh huh. And that's kind of fun. <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah. we should do that again. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll each draw one at random. And then we will create a uh, small scenario for you in which we try and embody what the card says. Yeah. Now, some of you may remember a lot of these aren't really like instructions or tasks. They're more uh, mindsets that you're supposed to embody in one way or another. Yeah. We ready? Yeah. And scene. Gonna take my time getting ready here. Don't want to rush anything. Matt, and I'm assuming you're you're turning inward here. Listeners, Matt has shut down as if uh, an android had a switch flipped off on him. It's making me uncomfortable. My cat is concerned as well. And it's making it hard for me to do my card. (laughs) I don't know if this is a good pod, but uh, we're plowing through. All right, we'll we'll say that we've we've crossed the line here. (laughs) My card is do nothing. For as long as possible. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, that made it really hard for me to do my card, 
which was slow preparation, fast execution. <laughs> so I was taking my time to get ready. It was just going to be a bunch of silence. You know what? I was thinking that really this is like if I was in a band or something and like Brian Eno made me like pick this. Like let's say you're Bono and I'm the Edge. This is really something that that puts emphasis on everyone else. Mhm. Because like while it is it was difficult for me to stay here and not do anything, it then puts all this impetus on you to pick up the slack. And so really like this this is even though it, it's my card, it has more outward motivations. I like it, yeah. And actually, that's a good one to draw if you're uh, stuck in a creative thing where you're just like noodling too much or something like that. You draw that card, you're like, okay, I need to rein it in a little bit. It also like I really listen to you, <laughs> like, oh no, <laughs> for the first time ever. <laughs> Your voice is really nasal. <laughs> I can hear your red hair through your voice. <laughs> ah! That's offensive. Okay, okay. Let's right, do another round. round. Another round, another round. Hopefully with more active Hopefully suggestions. talk a lot is what Matt has. Oh, no. <laughs> Whatever could be the problem, Ryan. So, do you like uh, being naked with hot, attractive men? <laughs> Just out of nowhere. I, I was thinking about it. I thought I'd bring it up. Uh, well, now that you broached the subject, uh, yes, Ryan, I do. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I uh, wonder... What Zephyr brought that into your mind? Oh, you know, it's just uh, it's something I'm thinking about at the moment, and I uh, just thought I'd try and incorporate it into what we're, what we're talking about. Well, Ryan, uh, in keeping with our, our uh, analogy uh, from uh, Angels in America, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where uh, you said that we were like Fraser and Niles, right? Why don't you uh, grab your sherry and uh, expound upon on your your elucidations on uh, your dating prospects? Well, you know, there's. Um, I mean, I'm sure lots of people think about hot naked men all the time. I'm not. I can't be the only one. You're you're clearly thinking about it right now, and that's not just because I put the thought in your head, right? Right. No. Yeah. So that seems to be just something that I think a lot of people can relate to, especially our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet the majority of our listeners are attracted to men in some way. Sure. I maybe it's just me. I don't. I, there's not a lot of straight men who reach out to us that's true that's true although why not Um, come on straight men you don't want to hear this talk about hot men (laughs) uh i mean we can give you tips yeah being both perfect specimens of manhood yes and uh could give you tips on how to well i was gonna say how to please a man but they probably don't care about that (laughs) we could have tips on how to please a lady yeah how about listening? I was gonna say eat that puss. <laughs> Maybe, both probably. Both, yeah. yeah, those are both helpful tips. You, the generous portion of puss, mm-hmm. and then uh, you just uh, lay back and shut the fuck up for a little while. Yeah, let her talk. Listen. Yeah, and that concludes Matt's dating hour. <laughs> this has been a preview of Matt's guide to straight dating. <laughs> Eat that puss and shut up. That's your catchphrase. That's the tagline. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> that, okay, okay. Yeah, I feel like I've done my part of my card. So my card said, change nothing and continue with immaculate consistency. Oh, okay. So, so basically wherever I started, you were just going to keep going. Well, when I think of immaculate consistency, I do think of like Fraser Crane a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Mine said, what are you really thinking about just now? <laughs> Incorporate. <laughs> Which, damn it, that's what I was thinking, and I, I, I'm honest with you listeners. I'm so, on, if nothing else, I'm honest. All right, good one. It's hard to, when you're asked to uh, say what you're thinking about on the spot. Yeah. Because, like, thoughts are so fleeting. Yeah. You and might not even really be consciously, like, taking note of what you're thinking. I kind of went with the first thought that jumped into my head, and I mean, here we are. You know, five out of the six sides on your dice are, are 
naked men. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm. and then the uh, the only one side is uh, your cat. So. <laughs> I think you're gonna have to start this off. Well, I mean, I'm willing to start, but it's uh, you know it's an effort. You must agree that we're we're coming to the end of our our opening banter segment. Yeah, we've worked hard at it, and um, we are, yeah, I feel like we can lay back and feel accomplished. And you know, when we divide things up into sizable portions, it makes them more manageable, right? Oh, like eating a steak. Yes. And the like eating a steak, the toughest part is always the transition to that other part, right? Well, I always felt that the toughest part of a steak is the tendons. <laughs> Not the the gristle. <laughs> the gristle. You just chomp into that that nice bone, right? I eat the bone. You're not on that shit. Save it. Put it in the, some water. You got yourself a stew going. Just a glass of water. <laughs> a couple can't, cubes. Can't care it if you got one. <laughs> you walking around like a pitcher glass. <laughs> Steak, bone, ice cubes, and a rock carrot. What you drinking? Bone water. Hello. Oh, so watery, <laughs> but with a smack of bone. Hey, that's a twofer. <laughs> Arrested Development reference right there. Look yeah. at us. That took effort and work. Good. Hot quality pod here <laughs> on X-Rated. Just capital E entertainment. <laughs> well, something tells me, Matt, that you're done working on this opening banter and are interested in transitioning to the next part. I am interested in transitioning as I am supposed to ask, are there sections and consider transitions? Oh, okay. Hey, it's right there. It's in the card. It's in the card. Yeah. Well, mine just says it's simply a matter of work. <laughs> and we... Certainly put in a lot of effort yeah. and work there, and uh, I think it paid off, personally. I Yeah, I think that, that was a good little round of the uh, oblique strategies. Yeah, we'll have to uh, revisit them again in, uh, in nine to... Eleven months. Eleven months. <laughs> Which is when we get around to them. Well, I guess yeah. Let's let's uh, consider a transition into today's movie. You know who else did uh, slow preparation, but maybe fast execution? Oh, the Marquise de Martoy. <laughs> no, the other one. Uh, uh, Vicomte the de Valmont. Yeah, <laughs> the Vicomte. Well, of course, we're talking about characters from today's movie, which is 1987's Dangerous Liaisons. Long time coming on this one. I think mm. we'll both agree that we both collectively had it on our list. We were just trying to find the right time. I mentioned last week that uh, it was really just at a coin toss between this and Possession for Valentine's Day. Yeah. And the only reason that I, I went for, for Possession, and I was just like, I don't know. It, it, ever since Alex Ramirez had brought it up, I just... Like, uh, I must have been picking up on your vibe. Yeah. Because I was I was thinking, you know, we're always talking about we're going to die someday. Let's get these movies, like, on the pod. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about doing Dangerous Liaisons for ages. And uh, just felt just felt right. I had just recently watched Philomena. Um, filled, a, uh, filled a Freer's Hole for me. Oh, God. Um, and I filled a Dench Trench, if you will. <laughs> oh, good one. Thank you. Um... And uh, it was, he was on my mind, and I was just like, you know, it's a good movie, Dangerous, Dangerous Liaisons. Ah, uh, I'll it, watch this anytime. This is so good. It's anytime. so good. This is an anytime movie. I mean, you mentioned last week that uh, wh- what's the term for the type of book where it's like just letters? Epistolary. Epistolary. And knowing that, because I didn't know that before, it kind of like gives a fun little vibe to the movie because like the opening credits even starts with like someone holding a letter. I know. And letters are so important in the movie. 
It's like how secrets are found out. It's how people communicate. Like it's a big recurring thing. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, it kind of like a. I can see how it's like told through secondhand letters. Yep. Um, it's presented also at uh, Chardelard de Laclos is the writer of it, Pierre Chardelard de Laclos. And he uh, presented it. And this was a very popular form at the time where it's like you just present things as like, oh, I just found these letters and like I'm just publishing them because it's an interesting story. Oh, and of okay. course, it's all fiction. Yeah. But uh, yeah, very popular format at the time. And, you know, everyone was kind of like, oh, it feels so like intimate, like you're really hearing characters voices. And what's fun about Dangerous Liaisons is that, like, um, and this comes into the movie, too, uh, you don't know when people are being honest and when they're being false. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's or a lot when, of Even lot of if someone's, like, hand is being guided, like, they might think that they're being truthful, but their influence has been poisoned somehow. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. For example, Uma Thurman's character, whose name is... Cecile Valange. Yes, Valange. She writes a letter to her lover at the time, played by Keanu Reeves, whose name is the Chevalier Danceny. Yes. Um, and her letter is basically being dictated by Valmont at right, that point. Right, right. And so if you're reading the book, it's from her, signed from her, it's not her voice, mm-hmm. which is uh, very delicious to read. I read the book in French in uh, in college. Oh, la la. And uh, it was my, it's definitely one of the books that when I got out of college, I was like, I am holding on to this because I loved reading it. It's, it's very delicious. And it's so twisty turny. Like th- there's a structure to the plot that I really enjoy where it's like, sort of a simple premise like there's only like really like four main characters with like little side characters who have influence yeah and then it's like as the movie goes it gets like more and more complex and then kind of when you get to like the third act the plot has simplified again like there's been so many ping pongs around as to like the state of uh whether the uh valmont will sleep with cecile or uh What's Michelle Pfeiffer's... Uh, uh, Tourvel, Madame de Tourvel. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, because he's like, he has two tasks at hand, and each one is in like varying states of accomplishment, mm-hmm. and uh, his motivations towards one wane, and then gain, and then they it goes back and forth. And so like, there's just a lot of plot and a lot of back and forth. And then it kind of like narrows down to like a good like simple plot right is basically you know spoiler alert as he beds uh, uh madame torvald suddenly like everything's just a lot clearer and motivations are are easier but like that's a good like structure i feel like because it gives you a lot of fun in like the first two acts and then like as it narrows down like it gets almost meaner like that's when alliances start crumbling yeah and it's just it's a little bit more focused it, it i don't know it makes for like just a lot of fun well, it, that's the point when, like, when he finally does bed Tourvel and he talks to Mertoy about it, played by Glencoe's, just cast, by the way, oh, just cast. Uh, that's when she uh, becomes jealous for, mm-hmm. like, the first time ever. She's like, fuck who you want, I don't give a shit. But suddenly he, she sees that he really is into Michelle Pfeiffer. And this she wasn't becomes, just a dalliance. Yeah. This was, like, a... a passion like she broke through with him like he went in expecting you know some big transgression on her part but then it turned out there was a transgression on his part as well oh my god okay we're getting ahead of ourselves (laughs) so we've got glenn close as marquise de mertoy is this our first glenn close it might be i believe it is yeah great role for her boy and you know what she does really well get Angry. One of the reasons why I never remarried, despite a quite bewildering range of offers, was the determination never again to be ordered around. Very complex character, very uh, interesting uh, feminist character, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to her because there's very rich. Lots to talk about her. Uh, her ex lover, Vicomte de Valmont, played by John Malkovich, which. Honestly, altogether, interesting casting. Like, he's supposed to be this devilish, rakish kind of character. Which, I mean... I mean, he... I wouldn't pick him first, but it works for me. He has, like, the charisma, but not, like, the natural look of, you know, uh, a Casanova type. But he's not the worst looking either. He's not the worst... Like, that's why I think it's, like, believable. 
like I think Glenn Close is like perfect in a period piece. Like I think she captures like that sort of regality that we think of when we think of period pieces and like off-brand beauty. <laughs> yeah. She's a very handsome man. Yes. <laughs> uh, handsome woman. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> John Malkovich, though, he's so modern in his energy. Like, even, like, the way that they've dressed him up. Like, mm-hmm. his clothes are a little looser while everyone else is, like, skin tight. Uh, he and, lounges on chairs. Yeah, and, he's like... always putting his leg up. And, like, there's even, like, when Glenn Close is, like, presenting the challenge. like Come back when you've succeeded with Madame de Torvel. Yes. And I will offer you a reward. My love. He, like, puts his leg on the stair and kind of stretches yeah. and thinks about it. And he's uh. like, is there any possibility of an advance? Mm-hmm. He's uh, like, here's my cock. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like he does the same thing, like, when Glenn Close is giving that speech as to, like, how she became, like, a, a virtuoso of deceit. Yep. Like, he's just lounging with, like, one leg over the That's arm of the couch. That's how he sits down. He doesn't, like, sit and then get into that lounge position. He, like, immediately puts the leg up. Yeah. It's pretty. And it's gr- it's a great shot. Oh, my God. Okay, so Michelle Pfeiffer as uh, Marquise, or no, as M- the Madame Torval. Torval, Uma Thurman as uh, Cecile, Cecile Valange, uh, Keanu Reeves as the Darcenay, and um, uh, Susie Kurtz as uh, Madame Valange. Right. So, whew, just take that in for a minute. But uh, we talk about uh, all the time uh, how Baz Luhrmann is uh, like. With Moulin Rouge specifically, it's like you it's opulent, but you don't get a chance to soak it in. This movie's nothing but soaking in all these opulent costumes and set pieces, and I'm like, I can't get enough. <laughs> They're beautiful. All yeah, of it. You know, I was thinking during the, like the opening scene when it shows both of our, our main characters sort of preparing for the day. I was like, when you make costumes for a period piece, like do you just like shamble it together to make it look like what you see in pictures or something? Or do you actually try and like recreate like the same, like the, the, what do they call like the, the but, things on a dress that like yeah. make the hip, hips stand out hip ribs. I don't know. Some, I was like, do you have to like, do you try and make those the way that they were back then? So like the dress has like the same sense of like structure or do you just put some like chicken wire under there and call it good? Right. You know, yeah. I don't know. Stuff like that I was thinking about a lot while watching this. Well, they show it to you in this, so I guess they did the real thing. Yeah, I mean, it looks that way. And, like, the lighting in this always just seems so natural, but, like, a touch dark. Because, I mean, it Mm -hmm. would be. Right. Yeah. So this movie did win for Best Costume and Best Production Design at the Academy Awards that year. There's another movie that we've done on the podcast that was also nominated for Best Production Design. Do you want to try and guess what it was? The same year? Yeah. 1987? Mm Mm-hmm. We have covered it on the podcast. Uh, 1987 Beetlejuice. Mm. Close. Ah, uh, um, Flight of the Navigator. Uh. <laughs> uh, no, unfortunately. Uh, that was a Nickelodeon <laughs> Kid Choice Award <laughs> for Best Production Design. <laughs> um. 87. Have we even done movies from the 80s before? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Those come after the 70s, right? Uh, I don't know. Secret of the Ooze. No. Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, God. Was Who Framed Roger Rabbit 87? Yeah, same year. Wow, okay. Yeah. Good year Which, for production designers. Yeah, I was thinking, like, if, uh, if Who Framed Roger Rabbit's going to lose to somebody, I'm fine with it losing to this. Yeah, I mean, period pieces always win those sort of awards, and I know. But in this, this case, real good. yeah, in this case, it's like rightfully so. I feel like you know, period dramas are to like costume and production design the way that biopics are to actor awards. Sure, 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 sure. Um, but we get a chance to like look at these costumes. Like it almost like the camera like lingers on them sometimes. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I can actually see the design in them. Yeah, and I mean, because Stephen Fears, like, he doesn't do, like, long, long takes, but, like, when Glenn Close is giving her speech on, you know, the few advantages that women have, and... Right. Like, the way that she's just kind of, like, laying back on the couch, recalling all these experiences, 
like you see like this big lovely couch and you see her dress all sprawled out and it's just sort of lovingly shot and like it's just like one slow push in yeah. and like we get to enjoy the whole thing like yeah. her acting's like out of the park and she looks good in this I mean, this is a boobarama movie. Like <laughs> a lot of heaving bosoms. <laughs> heaving bosoms is the right term for this. <laughs> I think it should be dangerous liaisons or heaving bosoms AKA, galore. Because <laughs> yeah. there, uh, you know, we get Uma Thurman fairly early in the movie. Yeah, and you know, she a she looks like a child. But she gets topless at some point, and it's like the melons that come out of her shirt, you could not tell from like this tight, corseted convent girl dress That's that true. she's wearing. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, it's like when she gets topless, I'm like, Jesus Christ, how did she fit two cantaloupes? into that brassiere. Okay, I wasn't sure if we were going to talk about Uma Thurman's boobs, but um, <laughs> very surprising when it happens. I think she's the only... No, she's, there's two boobies in this movie, two booby ladies in this movie. Um, <laughs> is it just two? Because there's John Malkovich's helper, who's also a famous person, uh, famous-ish, mm-hmm. famous-ish. Yes. He's sleeping with that one lady. Right. And we see her boobies. Right. And then we see Uma Thurman's boobies. Yeah. And maybe the courtesan. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. We get like a little booty. We do see her booty, yeah. Uh, one of the recurring themes is uh, the Vicon writes these letters on the backs of his lays. <sighs> so decadent. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, like how he refers to it. She's even done some light secretarial work for me. <laughs> but then, of course, once he's uh, perverted Uma Thurman, she's writing letters on the Vicon's back. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's just like, mwah, love it. Perfect. I did like their relationship. One thing I don't think I've noticed before, he was like, he was talking about like, I've taught her to do things that would make like, you know, even most experienced people blush or something like that. Like and an I'm experience like, like prostitute or yeah. whore blush. Yeah. I was like, did he ask her to eat his ass or something? Like, <laughs> what? what is it? What could it be? <laughs> yeah. That first sex scene between Uma and, and the Vicon does read a little rapey. Yeah. What do you want? I, I don't know. What do you think? <gasps> no. All right. She definitely has this, like, you know. I wasn't saying no. Well, no, she she was like, I, you know, my, my lips said no, but my hips said yes yeah. sort of thing. I'm like, well, I don't know. That doesn't come across in the scene. Yeah, I did not come across <laughs> in the scene. Uh, but that, uh, I mean... The script of this, the dialogue is immaculate in this movie. Mm. I remember a lot of it was lifted pretty much from the book. Well, like, when Uma is, like, riddled with shame, you know, here's this good convent girl. This is my favorite shot of the movie, by the way, when Glenn Close arrives for this. Oh, and she's in, like, the yellow dress, and, like, she's smiling, and then, like, oh, Mm. (laughs) it's so good. I get goosebumps every time. So good. Every time. But she's talking with Cecile because uh, she, she's inconsolable and and uh, Glenn Close has such a good influence on her. And she's talking about it. Like, I'm saying, you stupid little girl, that provided you take a few elementary precautions, you can do it or not with as many men as you like, as often as you like, in as many different ways as you like. Our sex has few enough advantages. You may as well make the best of those you have. But she says something like, uh... You'll find the shame is like the pain. You only feel it once. Oh, my God. Glenn Close is clearly a gay man trapped in a woman's body. (laughs) I love it. So I was thinking about it like, okay, this... Well, the book came out 200 years before this movie was made. And... Other versions of it, really, there was, like, a movie version of it from the 50s, hmm. and that's kind of it. So it And was then like, there's the Milo Schwarman one. Right, Valmont, which came out after this. Oh, it did. I thought it came <clears throat> out in the early 80s. Yeah. And oh. then, of course, you know, we've got, like, Cruel Intentions, which is also Dangerous Liaisons. Yeah. But for teens, which... Do we, do we still do that? Like, take old things... Like I feel like that was a '90s thing, but um, I don't know. I don't pay. I don't think teenagers go to the movies enough hmm. that like they make movies like that anymore. They're all interested in superheroes now, anyway. But uh, it's interesting. I think that like this super popular novel at its time in the late 1700s uh, would sort of just be like regarded as oh, it's a novel. 
but like not translated to like a stage play or not and not adapted for a movie until like you know 50s or 60s and like it's just interesting to me that it took so long for it to like really kind of grab hold of people Mm. even though like at the time it was super popular which i think is interesting because it's like it's sort of making fun of french aristocracy yeah well i mean it, it at least in a uh sort of like look at these idle rich people like these people with no jobs they just get money somehow yeah or they have money i guess i should say right it kind of struck me as like rich people being like oh parasite what a great movie it's like (laughs) i don't know if you got the point of it like well there's that scene when um valmont is trying to impress torvel mm-hmm. by he knows he's being followed so he's like oh i'll just pay this guy's taxes off yeah because uh, he's getting evicted from or like all his furniture is getting stolen or taken back and repoed Be-po-man. and uh he comes up and he's like how much does he owe well uh how much 56 livres pay him it's like, yeah, you could just do that for all these people, probably. Yeah. You're so rich. Yeah. I think that's uh, it's an interesting element to it, too, that we're just like, we're definitely just talking about rich people being shady to each other, which, I mean, I'm here for, <laughs> but um, I don't know. It's just uh, something to think about. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it is that it's supposed to be showing that, like, when you have this level of, like, opulence and privilege and means at your disposal... Like, what do you do with them? Oh, you toy with other people. Yeah. Like, You're like, I'm bored. Let's be cruel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's such a nobler ring. <laughs> and yeah, that's kind of the premise of all the stuff that's going on. It's like, let's ruin people. Like, they're bored because they don't have jobs yeah. or hobbies. Their hobbies are ruining the lives of others. I mean, and you you kind of see it at points in this movie. Like, there's that one scene where Valmont's trying to pass a note to... Um, Cecile. Cecile. And they're just all sitting in that, like, conservatory or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're like, none of them are even, like, doing anything interesting. They're not even talking. There isn't even music playing. <laughs> they're just all sitting there, like, turning cards over. Yeah. Like, this thing's boring. <laughs> and they're like, suddenly, Michelle Pfeiffer has a fit, quote unquote. And they're like, we'll go walk through the garden. Yeah. And like, oh, my God. Their days are spent, like, walking around. I'm sure it takes a lot of time to get dressed. Mm. Uh, But you have assistance for that. Yeah, but even then, it looks like it's a whole process. Like, you got, like, a fucking manufacturing line to get that corset on. That's true. But, yeah, no. A lot of free time on their hand to devise and scheme and and plan and plot and write letters. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A lot of letters. But, yeah, I just... I can't get over, like, how good the dialogue is. And just... I mean, I mean, there's stuff in here, you know, when the way that, that Glenn Close has challenged John Malkovich to, like, sleep with Cecile as a way to get revenge on Bastide, who left Glenn Close, and now he's eyeing for a wife, and he likes, you know, these convent-educated girls, and so then her plan is like, well, my revenge will be to get the Vicomte to, to sleep with Cecile, and... Mm you know poison her basically poison her yeah uh defile her and john malkovich the vicomte he's like that's too easy you know i i have that's my eyes beneath on, me yeah but then he does it anyway once he finds out that that uh has he put the valange bitch <laughs> like foiled his plan with madame torvel mm-hmm. so he's like oh, yeah i'm gonna sleep with her now <laughs> Yeah. To yourself. Well, and like, and then the whole reason for her to get this going is like, Mertoy is like, okay, if you can seduce Torvel, then I will sleep with you. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, that's been the whole stakes the whole time is like, okay, if you can manage to do all this, I will sleep with you. And, um, yeah, it's not until the end when he, she finds out that he actually has feelings for, uh, Torvel. I mean, it's not even upset. the end. Like, it's maybe like the end of Act Two. Like, there's still like a good like forty minutes left in the movie after they sleep together. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. Actually, because like there's like the whole point of like Madame Torvel like comes to see the Vicomte and he's with that courtesan. Oh, it's not the one we wrote that letter to. The very one. I enjoyed that. You proved a most talented task. And like Which is so cruel. And then yeah, there's the whole scene of the. Uh, it's beyond my control. It's beyond my control. And then he's like, then I'm going to get her back. But then 
you know, it's war between the two. Matt, the other part in this movie that always gives me chills is... All right. War. So that's like my favorite part of the book is like she sends... Well, they're like, you know, because this whole thing is happening in the book via letters. And uh, the one that she sends to him at that point, it just says all right war it's just those words yeah it's like i don't know i just i remember reading that part and be like oh my god this is so exciting but uh once the vicon sleeps with cecile valange he's sort of like isn't it a pity that our agreement does not relate to the task you set me rather than the task i set myself i am grateful of course but that would have been almost insultingly simple one does not applaud the tenor for clearing his throat. I'm like, I love it. <laughs> I like that scene a lot because they're just like, it shows sort of a party where there's going to be like music playing later, but it just shows them sort of walking around and talking. And it really put me in the headspace of like what it would be like to be at a party like that, where you'd sort of like maybe get cornered by somebody you don't like. And then like you see somebody else you do want to talk to come in or could save you and you stand up like, Monsieur so-and-so. And And like, I don't know. I just really got into the headspace of that. And it's just a well shot because we're just kind of following him, watching him meander. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot like some of the the blocking here is a little funny. It's like there's just like one scene where Glenn Close is, you know, trying to get John Malkovich to do something. And like the way that she like, starts talking like behind his back like puts her her like her face up uh, uh back against or right up against like his back or his shoulder area and is like whispering I'm like this is sort of like silly like the devil whispering in his ear mm. sort of thing but I was like yeah it works for the movie yeah I mean Stephen Frears king of middle brow <laughs> but I mean at this time like I I won't even say that it's middle brow it's just like he just has that perfect feather touch directing style. Like you don't notice the directing so much, but it just it perfectly accentuates the story and the dynamics between the characters. Like cuz so much of this movie is talking. Oh yeah. And like how quickly would that be boring if it wasn't <laughs> shot so well? Yeah. I mean, speaking of creative blocking, X-rated staple here. Yeah. There's the part where he's trying to um convince Torvel to let him stay or something. I don't know, but he's like walking behind her. Yes. And he keeps like moving from each side he, he, of he, her. He wants to write her letters and she's like, no, I, I, a woman of my regard can't be corresponding right. with you. And he's like, you're determined to refuse me this one simple thing. I'm like, yeah, there are. But it shows like it's her head on, but he's like moving from side to side. So it's almost like he's, he's pursuing, he's, constantly trying a different angle he's like oh this doesn't work well why don't i try over here yeah it's like it sort of shows how his brain is working in that moment i hope you won't think i'm bargaining if i ask you to let me write to you well and pray that you'll do me the kindness of answering my letters i'm not sure a correspondence with you is something a woman of honor could permit herself so you're determined to refuse my suggestions however respectable i I didn't say that you'd rather be unjust than risk showing me a touch of kindness I would welcome the chance to prove to you that what lies behind this is not hatred or resentment, but... With blocking, it's like audiences want to look at characters' faces a lot. So it's like him moving back and forth is making our eyes like go back and forth, like looking at the whole frame. Yeah. And there's a lot of good stuff like that because there's one scene where it's fairly early on and... Cecile has, uh, like, it, it, it's known that Cecile kind of has a crush on... Uh, uh, Dawsony. Dawsony. And so it's just these three characters, like, it's Glenn Close, like, screen left, uh, Cecile in the center, and then uh, Madame Valange, screen right. And they're just sitting there, and, you know, they're just talking, but Glenn Close, like, brings up, they're like, oh, Dawsony is, like, you know, I'll write to him to come teach Cecile and give give her music lessons, and it's all under the guise that Cecile has like a big crush on him. Uh-huh. But like the way that they look at each other, and it's like Cecile like smiles, but then notices like her mother doesn't approve of the smiling, and like goes back to a more somber face, and like it's just like 
they're just their facial expressions they're not even moving is drawing your eye to like look at different points in the screen and back at different characters and it also like relays like where these characters stand in relation to this like as of yet unseen character you yep. know yep. like uh well i mean he's been seen but he's not on screen i guess i should say but it's just like i just noticed that like my eyes like bouncing between all three of the characters even though they're just sitting there talking and like they're bouncing around just by like meaningful glances and like smiles and looks and and it's just one shot like the camera's stationary i'm like this is exactly what this like dialogue scene needed yeah set put them in these places and your eye will move around yeah as necessary and like yeah. yeah if the actors are dynamic enough then we'll look at them while they do this good performances pretty much all around oh yeah um i really love glenn close's performance oh, because yeah. so a big theme in the book that translates well to the movie is the theme of like masks like putting on a mask for various things this is batman returns all over again mm-hmm. uh also michelle pfeiffer's in that movie <gasps> from this season themes but <laughs> you love it when that happens mm, it's, it just happens i don't know so first scene we see of uh glenn close she's getting makeup put on her she's like putting on the the guys she's putting on the the ritz basically um and then we see like like and she has that wonderful look because she's like looking in the mirror she's like you know getting out of bed and the way that she's like smiling while looking at herself it definitely just reads like what shit am i going to stir today (laughs) (laughs) but she gets it a lot where it's like She's got a face on, and then the mask slips a little bit. The yellow dress scene is a great one, mm-hmm. great example. There's the part when um, Uma Thurman and Keanu Reeves are practicing music, and, oh. she, and she's just like, it's so like, uh. <laughs> Keanu Reeves. I'm glad that he found his lane. Because this was they, not. They it. were still working him out. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm pretty good with all the performances in this movie, but Keanu Reeves was really not meant for this type of role. I feel like he's fine in the fencing because he, he's always had a really good physicality as an actor. Delivering these lines, looking the way he does, sounding the way that he does. <laughs> yeah, like, it's not. Great. It's still just like stoner California dude, like. It's almost like he's amazed at the words that are coming out of his mouth. <laughs> it, it is that. Tell us what we should think of the opera. Oh, it's sublime, don't you find? I don't buy it for a second. It's like, you're high. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and Glenn Close is like, he's one of those eccentrics that comes for the music. <laughs> yeah, it's totally just her, like, she's totally that person that used to go to shows just to be seen. Oh, like, she didn't yeah, care about the music. 100%. Keanu Reeves, it, it does make it believable when Glenn Close says, uh, like most intellectuals, he's intensely stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I can see it. Just while we're talking about Keanu Reeves, I like that in that music scene when he's teaching Uma Thurman and he hands her the uh, the oh, letter the- that says, I love you on it. Yeah. Um, it's just a really cool shot, like through the strings of the harp and we see her hands and we can read it. And I'm just like, Ugh, this looks good. And it varies up. Uh, just because we're just seeing faces so much. Like, mm-hmm. you can see that. I don't know. It's just... I, I think Stephen Frears, just to rewind back to that real fast, he's always, like, one or two steps above what I would consider path. I don't know. He makes exquisite stuff. And I don't... I can't exactly put my finger on it, but he's just a little bit better than everybody. He is. He's got a sensitivity, and he, he like... He knows what a scene needs, or at least he did. I, I mean, I'm not the biggest Stephen Frears fan. I haven't seen even a lot of like his like so-called classic work. Like I haven't seen My Beautiful Laundrette or anything. Okay, he's done a lot of gay stuff, which makes me wonder. Why well, not? Yeah, My Beautiful Laundrette, and there's another one called Prick Me with Your Talons or something <laughs> that I'm definitely going to watch because it's about a gay poet and his lover. Oh, okay. Um, and then we've got Philomena, which is very gay. Oh, is it? Okay. Um, and we've got Florence Foster Jenkins, which you cannot tell me that a straight man wants to see that movie. <laughs> and then uh, the Amazon show he did, the, A Very British Scandal. A oh, very right. English scandal. That's super gay. Okay. It's just like he has sort of this uh, homosexual leaning, but I think he himself is not. Like, as as good as the, the movie is, it does... Like, if it was done wrong, it would be camp. Like, or boring. 
Or boring, yeah. Like, it's walking that tightrope between being, like, stodgy period drama and being sort of campy. Because, like, I mean, with the dialogue like this, it could, like, totally fall in one direction or another. Yeah. But it's funny, too. Like, it's funny to a modern I say, audience. I laughed a couple times out loud. And, like, there, it, it is close to camp sometimes, I mean, it never goes into actual camp territory, but yeah, uh, like I could just see a different director hamming it up too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even like especially John Malkovich, like I could see that like if he was allowed to go like a little bit more overboard, that suddenly it wouldn't be classy anymore. It would be campy. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Like watching this, I was like, this is a fun period drama i mean it gets serious at the end but for a large portion at the beginning you don't see something this opulent and like true to the time period really having this much humor in it like he gets followed by that one guy yeah and he like shoots at him that's funny well like what's the scene glenn close is reading a letter is it, it the one you tweeted about? Yeah, it's the the, the picture that I, I tweeted, and because uh, it's like that's the, when she's so she's the, he's finally uh, seduced Cecile, and that's when she's reading about that. And so like the letters covering her face, and we're just hearing like the narration of her reading it, and then like the letter drops just to reveal this big grin, this Cheshire cat grin going on, and like I laugh so loud, yeah. like it's it's so good. Who else can I turn to in my desperation, Madame? And how can I write the necessary words? It's literally a laugh out loud moment. And like literally the only thing that happens is like a letter like falls and reveals Mm -hmm. a smiling face. There might even be like a cut back or something like that. And you see the full shot, but like, that's it. Yeah. And again, like I think a lesser director wouldn't do it that way. I don't know. He's just, he's got a good touch and a good sense of what makes good cinema mm-hmm. to me. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'll be a Freer's champion if I have to. Yeah, so I don't know exactly what killed Madame Torvald. Consumption. Well, I don't it's either. Like heartbreak. <laughs> Part of me is like, is, is there cure what killed her? Like the bloodletting and the cupping? That's what killed George Washington. Yeah, I mean, they didn't, like, or at least they didn't show, like, them, like, pumping blood out of her but like they did cut her and bleed her and yeah they would cut her and then put those like hot cups on her to suck the blood out so they're doing bloodletting yeah so i'm just like i don't know if that that would help but it's like did she just die of like depression yeah she was probably depressed because she wasn't eating remember Mm. she had like the soup and didn't touch the pheasant (laughs) um but then yeah so they're like oh something's wrong with her her humors must be out of balance. Yeah. So let's let's get rid of some of that blood. I'm putting some black pus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we haven't talked too much about Michelle Pfeiffer. She's too much of a goody goody. Like, yeah. Not, not that her performance is bad. It's just that she's supposed the to be. Character isn't that interesting. Yeah. She's supposed to be sort of the moral virtuous. In other words, <laughs> like don't care. Yeah. Uh, like I want to see the scoundrels hang out succumbs to her desires eventually but uh, yeah good performance from Michelle Pfeiffer in this movie I liked it a lot I actually have recently seen The Age of Innocence too which I think is a better period piece performance from Michelle Pfeiffer sure I like her better in that Uh, if you're if you're aching to see Michelle Pfeiffer in a period piece and you're like you know holding dangerous liaisons and (laughs) It's the age of innocence. As you do, I'm Man. sure lots of people have this uh, struggle. Party time at the Whedon house. <laughs> I'm just going to push you towards age of innocence, okay? Uh, not that you're not going to have a good time with Dangerous Liaisons. It's an anytime movie because you know it's a good movie, Dangerous Liaisons. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk about Glenn Close again because, oh, let's talk about uh, Martoy as uh, a feminist icon, maybe? Maybe. So she has that whole speech. I often wonder how you managed to invent yourself. Well, I had no choice, did I? I'm a woman. Women are obliged to be far more skillful than men. You can ruin our reputation and our life with a few well-chosen words. So, of course, I had to invent not only myself, 
but ways of escape no one has ever thought of before. She's setting up nets in case anybody ever tries to take her down, and uh, that uh, requires her to be ruthless. Mm-hmm. And um, while your turn, you talk now. <laughs> I want to well, hear what your opinion is on that. Well, I mean, it, it's tough because like she is sort of like an evil Emma, Jane Austen's Emma. <laughs> Instead of bringing people together, she's pushing them <laughs> yeah, apart. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I like it. I like it. <laughs> well, it's like, I mean, I mean, I, I think this is true in a lot of Jane Austen heroines, but like, I mean, specifically with Emma, is like, she can't just go out and do what she wants or 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 purposely like manipulate things. Like, she has to like subtly suggest this and that, or like pull some string that like makes what she wants to happen happen. Mm-hmm. And so it's like she fully understands like the gender politics of the day. She understands her role in her place in society and she's determined to get what she wants working inside those confines. She's a master game theorist is is what I'm saying. Okay, yeah. She's uh, playing three-dimensional chess. Yeah, she's a fourth wave feminist <laughs> <laughs> where, you know, she's part Phyllis Shively, but uh, also part Lizzie Borden. <laughs> like, she's grown accustomed to the confines. Like, she doesn't strike me as, like, gonna, like, burn her bra or, like, push for an equal rights amendment, but, like, her philosophy is win or die. Mm. And then in the end, uh, neither happens to her. And, uh, like, the end of the movie is just, like, her slowly removing the makeup after being publicly humiliated. Matt. Yeah. <laughs> and like then credits roll. Yeah. And it's like for her, like she got the ultimate losing option. Like, you know, she she said that like, you know, win or die, and she lost and she's still alive, basically. And so she just gets like nothing. If I remember correctly, at the end of the book she gets smallpox and loses an eye. Oh, okay. As sort of like it maybe like a reference to eye for an eye kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she, she becomes really ugly and like that to her is, you know, the worst basically. Sure. But yeah, I mean, there is something to be said for, you know, I don't know if feminist is the right term, but like she does say, I've always known I was born to dominate your sex and avenge my own. I don't know. I kind of like that. And I, I think it's interesting. The idea that like women, are forced to create themselves or just be, you know, wives, especially in this time. It's like you're either uh, somebody's wife or you're on her. And like, she's single in this movie. Like her husband died or maybe she never married. I don't know. Yeah, she, he died. Cause yeah, she says like the reason why I never remarried. Okay. Yeah. So she's just like living that single life and like people are, proposing left and right and she's like no i'm just gonna fuck a lot of people yeah well the vicomte said like uh you know at the beginning is like is he your only lover and she has to think for a minute and she goes oh, he is <laughs> i think that shows a progressive sexual politics sure but also the you mindfulness know, ost- ostentatiousness of uh her class sure so, like she can she could she could afford to do i also want to know what the elementary precautions were like when she's like telling Uma that like she can bang whoever she wants whenever she wants, so long as she takes a few elementary precautions. Uh, like, I want to know what those precautions are. Pee afterwards. Is that so really you... gonna like stop you from getting preggers? No, but it will stop you from getting uh, urinary it, tract infection. Sure, sure. So I, but like I'm always curious about like old style contraceptives. Yeah, people were probably all smelly back then too. And that stopped them from getting pregnant? No, I was just thinking about old-timey sex. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) There's been ways to avoid getting pregnant since there's been pregnancy. So it's like, I know they did something. If anybody out there knows, chime in. And Uma Thurman definitely seemed... Well, no, she 
gets pregnant. She has the miscarriage. I'm like, That's right. Uma Thurman seems like a happy little cum slut at the beginning. <laughs> so she was not taking those precautions, whatever they were. <laughs> also, just I like Uma Thurman's performance in this. Uma Thurman's a great actress. She's uh, she was very good in this, and like, and not in a. I feel like a character like hers could easily get swept under the rug or gets a pass for being kind of bad in a movie like this. Cause you're like, Oh, she's just kind of minor, but like she really sells it without overpowering anything. And I was, I was really impressed. Like this is young Uma Thurman. She's like, cause this is one of her first roles. Yeah. yeah. Pulp fiction is still, Oh, seven years, seven away. years away. Yeah. And she's great in this. Uh, yeah. Cause it's like right after Glenn close gives her the talk and she goes like, Oh, here's your mother. Now no sniveling. And the mother's like, well, maybe you should go lie down. She's like, oh, no, I'm fine. It's like, I think you should listen to your mother. And, like, it's that's another one of those scenes where it's just, like, she's trying to be like, oh, I'm all better now. But Glenn's like, don't be too much better. No, you're, you're still sick. <laughs> you're, and it's like you see all these things, like, in Uma's face. Like, all these changes. And I don't know. Like, I, I thought she was fantastic in this movie. Yeah. Good performances kind of all around. Yeah. And just, yeah, good natural lighting, awesome production design, just sumptuous, and yeah, no, I'm all about it. That's why I watched it twice. I was just like, this is, I mean, it's like a little over two hours, I think, like yeah. 210 something, probably. Yeah. Easy. This easy, is, easy watch. This is definitely an anytime movie for me, because it's like I've seen it now maybe four or five times, and just every time I watch it, I always find it rewarding. Mm-hmm. It's never boring. I mean... It's an adult movie. Like you couldn't have shown this to me as a teenager, and I, right. I would have like it's way too subtle for my a teenager. Eyes. Yeah, but like as an adult, I'm just like scandalous, eating it up. Yeah, <laughs> and I was thinking too. Like I know I've lobbed a, a accusation at you of like you like movies where people are mean to each other more than I do. Yeah, and then like, as I'm watching this, I'm like, these people are just being mean to each other. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this one is like. When you say that, you mean like you know, uh, uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf or something? Yeah, this is like gay. Like you know, if this you, is if, fun. If you can't say something nice, say something witty but devastating. Yeah, like, yeah. it's that. This, this. I, I was thinking like, well, why do I like this movie? And I was like, yeah, because this is fun. Like, and uh, there's also like a little bit removed because these aren't. I don't feel like they're real people. They feel like characters or constructs a little bit mm-hmm. enough that I feel outside it. So this is a this is an interesting story. There was one time where I was going to go see this movie with a guy, and like it was playing at a theater. Yes, I think it was like a midnight showing or something. Oh, a or... midnight showing of dangerous. <laughs> no, maybe it was like maybe it was like a second run or something. I don't know. Okay, but um, while the movie's going on, uh, we started making out, and it was it was fun, and like you could tell that people around us were kind of like scandalized. And then he pulled out a knife <gasps> and stole my wallet. What? And ran away. Yeah, I haven't told you this story. No. I call it my dangerous, dangerous liaisons liaison. This isn't true. No. <laughs> God wow. Um, yeah. I think the movie's more interesting than that story. I know, but... it was a dumb joke. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if I have anything else either. It's just it's so easy to watch. It's very opulent, great dialogue, twisted oh, yeah. plot. Good. Sh- I mean, Stephen Frears loves to loves to shove in a little, um, or slide in a little uh, beautiful shot here and there. And I really love at the end when the vicomte is dying. He's been stabbed, and it's just like blood spilling out over the snow. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it's just like oh, like once in a while you just get this breathtaking shots in his movie. Mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. if this one's got that and. Of course, I love that one where Glenn Close is in the yellow dress and smiling and then yeah. concerned. There's so just, good. There's just so many moments from it that they all add up to. Love this movie. Yeah, totally.
think it's just a movie right in our wheelhouse. Like, bunch of catty people, sex stuff, wigs. Uh, oh my god, out the wazoo! And opulent production design. And uh, creative blocking. Creative blocking. Like, th- those are the things we like in a movie. All that's missing is a wipe. <laughs> yeah. That is, yeah. So, uh, oh well. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Dangerous Liaisons 2, the new batch. <laughs> I'd watch it. Cecile's miscarried child grew up. Oh like, God. it survived the miscarriage. And it's haunted by Madame de Volange. Sure, why not? Uh, 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 oh, and there's a. No, you, you mean Madame Torval? Yes. Yeah. That's what I meant. Um, ooh, I like it, I like it, I like it. Yeah. Um, and at some point, they have to go to the to the Marquise de Mertoy, and she's just ancient and missing her eye. And yeah, yeah, um, there we go. And her and her and it's like a Miss Havisham. That, exactly, thing. yeah. Her her she's chateau still, is all destroyed. I was gonna say, and she's still like in the dress that she was wearing at the <gasps> opera that night. I love it. Oh my god, Hollywood! Hello, <laughs> just lobbing these ideas out at you because you know everyone's aching for a sequel <laughs> to a thirty-plus-year-old movie. Anyway, we've got some ideas. We need to just sit with a producer one of these days. Like, let's make a list of all the sequels we want to have done. Well, I still want to do that uh, Mildred Pierce sequel, Vita's Revenge. I love it. I love it. At one point, you talked about that erotic thriller with the uh, Amazon Prime lockers. Oh, where the guy puts his cum in the Amazon Prime locker? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, yeah. A, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a winner right let's there. Let's pitch that. Um, and then Dangerous Liaisons 2. <laughs> yes. Dangerouser. Dangerouser. Yeah. Money in the bank. Where's our green light? Yeah. Um, well, that was fun talking about Dangerous Liaisons with you, Matt. But yeah. uh, what do we got coming up next week? You know what, Ryan? I am sick and tired of these motherfucking notes on this motherfucking scandal ah! that you haven't seen notes on a scandal. Ah! We're going to fill my dense trench again. <laughs> Oh, it's so wide and soggy, though. <laughs> I mean, it's big. It's, it's just run down. It's mostly mud. It's going to take a lot of filling. Bunch of just discarded waste. I've never seen Notes on a Scandal, but I do know a fact about it. When they were uh, streaming some of the dailies for it, mm-hmm. one of the producers uh, misplaced his notes, or he thought he had misplaced them, but it turned out an intern had stolen them and sold them to the National Enquirer. <gasps> and everyone called it the Notes on Notes on a Scandal Scandal. <laughs> Are you really into this this bit now? Is this your new thing? I'm going to try and do it every time. <laughs> I think it's a good uh, improv exercise. Okay. Yeah. Great. So... Uh, plug our junk, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, let's do it. Patreon. On the sort of topic of coin, please go to our Patreon. Patreon.com slash X-Ray Movies. We haven't gotten one in like a couple months since hurting my feelings, you guys. Oh, Matt's looking like he's crying now. Yeah. You guys, come on. Don't make Matt cry. And uh, if, uh, if, if uh, pity doesn't motivate you, uh, why don't we motivate you by letting you know that you can listen to lots of us. Lots of Lots of us. Lots more of us. You didn't get enough here? Go over there. Pay some money and listen there. That was terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, if you don't want to pay us, leave us love for free by leaving a review on, you know, your Apple Podcasts, your Stitchers, your Overcasts, like w- wherever you listen to this, like leave yeah. us love yeah. there. We haven't gotten one of those in a long time. And guess what? Now you're hurting my feelings. Yeah. I mean, you know what would make Ryan's day? Five-star review that said Jimmy Stewart Blumpkin or... Ugh. Gloopy Gloop in the Gloopenheim, uh, or maybe something from an episode that's not over a year old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all those are, are great ways to show your love for this podcast. And uh, if you don't feel like you know being public about it or paying money for it, you can send us. Uh, you can reach us. Reach out to us via electronic mail. Uh, and we have an address. Uh, for that it's called x.rated.movies at gmail.com you can always go to our facebook page at rated x movies get to us on twitter at x rated movies or just go to our website if you want to like 
get the full rundown. Xratedmovies.com. At this point, if you just listen to all the content on that website back to back, I think it would take you like two weeks. I'm just gonna throw that out there. What episode is this? 187? Yeah, I'm on this season. Yeah. 187, so 187 hours plus the two Roughly, sounds like a two weeks to me. There you go. So yeah, that's plenty of content. And then yeah, you sign up for Patreon, you got all the bonus content. It's another week of your life spent so. listening to us. Yeah, I guess that's it. All right. Uh, until next week, when we get notes on a scandal, and we uh, go over my uh, new biopic movie about this podcast, the one directed by Paul Verhoeven, that will be NC seventeen. The X rated <laughs> X rated podcast. Podcast. Good needs work, but not bad. Not bad. Why? You make it seem a lot easier than it is. <laughs> um. Anyway, keep reaching for that rainbow. Bye.